Hello, I'm Jason Solomons and welcome to Seen Any Good Films Lately, the film podcast with reviews, interviews and recommendations where we speak the language of cinema. That scene at the end where the kid just breaks down, it's just one of the most extraordinary performances I've ever seen by a young person. It's just incredible. But on this episode, we do celebrate a landmark linguistic release in the Irish language. You heard the director, Colm Berade there, hope I pronounced it correctly. His beautiful film, The Quiet Girl, is the first Irish language film to gain a wide UK theatrical release. So we catch up with Colm to find out more about putting Irish on the linguistic cinematic map. All after I tell you if I've seen any good films lately. Not so much a film, but a TV show about films. I've been pondering the UK version of Call My Agent. You know that show, the French one on Netflix. It's called uh, Les Dix Pourcents in in French. And it's set in a Paris talent agency and features real-life stars as guest cameos, such as Isabelle Huppert and uh, Jean Dujardin, that sort of person. Anyway, it's a show which I've been talking about for ages on this show and which so many of my guests have recommended, particularly during lockdown. Well, they've done a British version now. It's called 10% because that's what it's called in French. And it's almost a direct translation of the show, but it's set in Soho with a decent cast, including Jack Davenport and Maggie Steed, and a nice turn from an actress called Lydia Leonard, who I hadn't known before, but who could uh, really make her career just the same ball-busting role has done for Camille Crottin in France. Anyway, I'm watching it and I'm thinking all the time, why isn't this as good as the French version? That's all I can think of. Not that it's bad, it's just not as good. And is that because it's not set in Paris and London is not glamorous? But I don't know. Soho looks pretty good to me. Is it the cameos? Well, actually, so far, I've seen Helena Bonham Carter and Olivia Williams, who were very good together. Uh, Kelly MacDonald, who was lovely, as you'd expect, in the first one. It's kind of hard to figure out because the script is a bit timid, I'd say. It's got too much, yes, yes, well, right, OK, yes, well, absolutely, gosh, yes, we would do, yes, of course. Uh, it's an attempt at nailing that modern London vernacular for middle-class media types, but it doesn't really get anything fresh out of it. John Morton is the very good writer, and he did W1A, the satire uh, set in the BBC, and that's the same sort of thing, but a bit more BBC and British. It kind of worked in those BBC meeting rooms. The series, for me, has come to life uh, in episode four, which is where I'm up to, and it clicked because this was an episode about the theatre, Dominic West plays a vain TV actor who was doing a modern Hamlet in the West End and arguing with his director over it all. Uh, And it is about getting that show to its first night. You know, he was in jeopardy. They were going to walk off. The actors and the the director were arguing. Uh, So it was about solving the crisis and making it funny and getting it all done. And that worked as an episode. There was momentum and jeopardy and it was funny. And Tim McKinnery's washed-up neurotic actor, Simon Gould, is becoming a bit of a key recurring character in all of this, and he was very good in that episode. So, is it just the British film industry? Is it not big enough or pressured enough to satirise? It certainly doesn't consume the passions, I'd say, of London like it does in Paris or it does in LA. It isn't the be-all and end-all. Theatre is still that for our culture. There's still that residue that theatrical life and getting the show made and putting on the show there and then 
is the thing that sort of makes London breathe. And maybe our agents here in the film business aren't as crazy or as wily or as sort of do everything in order to get the film made uh, in their in their aspect. They're not as crucial to the process. I don't know. The ones I've met seem pretty important. You've got to get past them. I don't know. I'll watch more and I'll watch it to the end. It's growing on me and it's filling time very nicely in the way that TV does. But it's not like the French one. And I, I do wish that we can get this British film industry up to that level of, of, of importance in London. Now that I'm more involved in it, we certainly will. Okay, to Ireland for the quiet girl. Well, here, Erin Galling, sir. Shasamach, good hour to me, splechikartort. Tom Derrick of Akustosan. It was a fram, and this got a shin. Tom Fram Vest. Oh, cut a hard go, Nagar. This old Dodger came, Mer Barra, of a sage candle in her heel. As you can hear from that clip, it's actually in Irish. And this is a key cultural moment because no Irish language film has ever toured the festival circuit, starting in Berlin and winning prizes, including seven now at its own IFTAs, the Irish Film and TV Awards, and opening the Dublin Film Festival. Nor has an Irish language film ever made a wide UK theatrical release until now. It's the story of nine-year-old Coit, spelt C-A-I-T, who has a pretty miserable existence at home in a rural area with her growing family. Her sisters seem okay, but mum's pregnant again, can't pay much attention to Kate who's falling behind at school, and dad is a drunk and a womanizer and a bit of a brute. You can feel the violence in the air when he w enters the room. So Kate is sent away for the summer while her mum gives birth, uh, and she goes to her mum's family, uh, sort of distant relatives who are a few hours away. There she's taken in by a kindly... A uh, couple who have a nice house and a well-run farm and they tend to her and they comb her hair and they give her love and attention and warm baths for the first time. Although there are still revelations to come and there's still tragedy and secrets to unlock and hearts to break. It's a gorgeous looking film shot by Kate McCulloch and based on the short story by Claire Keegan uh, called Foster which has actually since become a set text in many Irish schools. So there's always going to be an audience for a film on that. You know, if you can't read the book, watch the film, even though, you know, some pupils will probably be reluctant to watch a slightly arthouse film at that age. But you never know, because it's a beautiful adaptation by Colin Barade and it this first feature film, and it's his first time as a guest on this show. I was intrigued to hear the Irish language at such length and with such beauty. And it became a marvel to me as I was watching it. I, I was obsessed with the language and trying to sort of match it up to the subtitles and hear the words. It, it's such a strange, otherworldly language that I'd never really heard before and seen subtitled. So it felt so at home on the big screen, though. And it reminded me of Icelandic films or Norwegian films or Catalan films or Neapolitan films, many of which I've seen before. So when I'm met Colin Barade, I began by asking him if it was difficult to get a film made in the Irish language and why he was so determined to do so. This film was made as part of a, a scheme that was only set up, I think, about four years ago now, possibly five years ago, 
And the scheme is called Cine Cahar or Cine 4. And it's it's a scheme that was uh, the brainchild of broadcaster in Ireland, TG4, TG Cahar. And it was them who, it was the director general of that broadcaster who came up with this idea that like, why don't, why aren't we making feature films in the Irish language? So yeah, so like it was, just, it was there was essentially this fund there and it was a question of they were looking for uh, for people to to submit ideas. And I had all of my, my kind of previous short drama work had been in the Irish language. Mm-hmm. And I had, I kind of have a long-standing relationship with, with TG4. So it just felt like a, a really natural sort of evolution of what I had done in, in my own career. And yeah. I'd always dreamt of, 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 you know, one day had been given the opportunity to direct a feature film. And uh, it just all felt like... This was something I, uh, that was almost tailor-made for me or something. It was well, strange. I mean, the temptation would be to have a script that you'd written in English, you know, in the, in the drawer and go, oh, brilliant, there's a fun for Irish, and just translate it into Irish and go, here you go. But I ask it slightly devil's advocate because clearly language, silence, it's called the quiet girl, you know, that that is it's the, the way they communicate is part of the part of the drama of the film yeah absolutely it is based on uh, a pre-existing work like it's claire keegan's short story foster yes i i read that in the credits i know that my irish is not so good but i could see when it was sort of based on a based on a story by claire keegan i thought ah, yeah I know, that, I know what that is <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah so like that that work is is uh is english language but having said that like I, when i read it i could i could see like first off the the work was just, it just moved me profoundly. Like it was an, an incredible, like all of her writing is extraordinary, really. Um, I think she's one of our best, one of our best authors in, in, in Ireland. But I could see that the setting of the story could very easily be transposed to an Irish language setting. And, and it could be done, done in a manner that was, that was organic and that was believable. Because mm. um, like, I'm not, I'm not really a fan of the notion that you would have all of your characters speaking Irish, you know, if it doesn't make sense in terms of the sort of social realities of, you know, of the sort of, of, of Ireland and just the kind of linguistic landscape there, you know, it's um, cause then, cause that then becomes like a political statement that I'm not really interested in making, you know, I think that, I thought the story lent itself to cinematic expression. Mm-hmm. And then it was a question of, okay, can I tell this story in the Irish language? Cause I'm, I was really focused on trying to get one of these Cine 4 uh, films. So what did you, you optioned the book, did you? Yeah, exactly, yeah. So that was the thing. I I was reading the book and I was like falling in love with it. See, it's not a book really. It's like you you buy it, like Faber released it as a standalone publication, but it's actually just a short story. Like it's about 80 pages. You know, you'll read it in half an hour. Like, But I was reading it and I was falling in love with it and like tears streaming down my face. (laughs) But, you know, just worried like where the rights actually available for this for this book, you know, and you know, miraculously they were. You wrote the script in 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 Irish, I presume. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Then you got to find enough Irish actors or Irish speaking actors. So how, what's that process like? Is there a casting process for Irish speaking actors, or does everyone it, can all Irish actors you know turn their hand to to speaking actually Irish? No, is the short answer to that. Um, you know, it's you do have some. You you would have some Irish actors who. Um, wouldn't be kind of entirely fluent in the language, but that could turn their hand to it where they would almost to the point where they're kind of, they might be learning it phonetically, you know, but I'm always kind of wary of that. Like it's, you know, as an Irish speaker and as, you know, you're, you're always thinking of, well, the Irish language community and like the, like their, their ears is so tuned to, to the, to the various dialects. And, and if, you know, if, if you're kind of, 
if you're not if you're not convincing them then i feel like you know we're kind of failing like so it's it's really important to us that the irish is uh you know that it's just the correct dialect for wherever you're mm-hmm. saying it is and uh and that just all the just basic stuff like it's all being pronounced correctly and it feels like the language of the character and all that so because of that like then the the sort of pool of actors that you have to choose from is necessarily smaller so it is a trickier process definitely but in the case of then like finding the young girl to play court that was just a total unknown then because it's not you know for 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 like characters of that age you're essentially looking for an unknown you know you're not like you, you're not really going to find them through an agency or whatever. It's like you're you're going out into the world trying to find this diamond in the rough kind of thing. You know? How did you do that then? Because she's a little find, isn't she? She's got a fantastic face. Whatever language she speaks, it's kind of you're hooked on the face that she's got. Where did you find her? Are there many kids that speak Irish? You know, I mean, is it is it is you know is it carrying on or is it is it really dying out? There is like a, a network of Irish language schools, primary schools that are throughout the country and they're really popular and I think growing like there's more of them opening the whole time so you kind of have this other these sort of generations of kids coming through who are just you know the Irish isn't kind of being forced down their throat it's just the it's like the working language of the school and it just becomes this normalized Mm -hmm. form of communication and that's leading that's definitely leading to a a sort of a shift in um, in attitude towards the language you know uh, amongst that cohort of, of of school kids who go through that system but then i suppose like the kind of purists would say well the irish that they're learning and that they're speaking isn't as rich as like you know the what you would get if you go into a guelthacht area and which like it is a beautiful like if you go into a guelthacht area and like you, you see like a young kid speaking irish who's just been you know his parent their parents have spoken irish the whole time and it's just their language to me it's remarkable like it's it is like seeing like I don't know, like a three-year-old playing the violin <laughs> or something, you know? And it is, I, I do understand that that's like this beautiful thing or whatever. But at the same time, I still think it's a beautiful thing that you have these kids in Dublin, you know, who are just using Irish to to learn, you know, to do their mathematics through Irish and doing wow. everything. Where did you find your, your little star? So we found Catherine through that network of schools, essentially. Um, we put out a call for uh, self-tapes because the COVID... Like we had started our casting and we were doing in-person auditions, you know, around the country and meeting hundreds of young girls and then COVID arrived. So it sort of put, put stop, put, put pay to all of that. It was self-tapes. So we just, you know, the, we sent out a, a kind of a call to all the Grail schools, all the Irish language schools. And uh, yeah, we got a tape in one day from this, this young girl and we were just blown away, you know. She just had this extraordinary stillness about her and, uh, you know, the opposite of that sort of, over emoting thing that you get with, with a certain there was no theatricality to yeah, it or, definitely. You know, it's that kind of perfect thing for for screen acting where it's like everything is sort of directed inwards and it, it, it kind of makes it kind of for, forces the audience to sort of lean into her character so she just had this natural ability to uh, allow the camera to kind of witness her and and just an innate understanding of the material like for for someone so young she just has this extraordinary emotional intelligence that was yeah, that was just really obvious to everyone who worked on the film. It's a beautiful, beautiful looking film as well. That's is that your your sort of signature style, or is that something that comes because of the landscape that you want to reflect? There's a stillness to the to the images, as there is a stillness to your 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 lead your lead girl, and you know it's about silence and wind and listening as well. I mean, is that was that 
Or, or do, are you normally in like you know car chases and shoot 'em ups? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I guess I'm I'm only kind of this is my first feature film, so I feel like I'm only kind of discovering my my style, I suppose. But I'm I'm certainly drawn to that type of filmmaking. Like I love uh, I do love like Kelly Reichardt's films, mm-hmm. and um, I like films that can sort of that can achieve a level of uh, or that can have a kind of a depth to them. But but that it's achieved in a through simple means, you know, mm-hmm. that it's not this, it's not overly complicated, or it's not. Did you watch any uh, films, sort of as research for your style or for your, for what you were going to do here? Not massively, really. Like that's like myself and Kate McCullough, who's the director of photography, who's extraordinary. She's one of our one of Ireland's best cinematographers. We spent a great deal of time talking about the film in preparation, and but strangely, we didn't really talk about oh, like it should feel like this other film or this film, or it was more just talking about the language of the film, you know, and and I mean that in terms of the visual language. Yeah. And I suppose like what kind of film it wasn't, or, you know, it was like we were we were sort of uh, establishing a rule book in our own heads of like things that we should and shouldn't do. And I'm just always very cognizant of the fact that like it's this first person point of view that we're, the film has to sort of, remain in Cot's orbit at all times like it's it's a film that's kind of been told through her you know yeah although it wasn't completely her ivy there's a film called playground out at the moment by laura wandel which from um from belgium which is sort of set in a kid's playground and there were moments that it chimed with with your film as well maybe because i'd seen it recently uh but that's all from the child sort of level in the adults sort of have to come down and yours didn't doesn't doesn't have that rigor through it doesn't need it really because we you know we get some wide shots and we you know you want to see the landscape and that and that, that first shot of her hidden in the grass is just um well that's just gorgeous that was just beautiful was that always your opening that that sort of tangle of grass and we can't quite make out what this image is and who this person is or if it's even a, a, a human yeah yeah no we we kind of liked that idea that like she's sort of enmeshed and you know i mean it's sort of it's about her you know retreating and kind of hiding and uh, you know it's about it's about her kind of aloneness at that at that point in the story but also like we kind of liked the idea that when you first see this little girl in the grass you're not even sure if she's alive you know that it's like yeah I for, think the, it was for a moment yeah for a moment you think oh is this like a, a totally different story you know but to me i liked that idea that then she starts to move and she you know she stands up and that's like a kind of a visual summary for me of, of what the film is about like it's about a girl kind of coming to life and, and and seeing a new way of living you know listen i really i did really enjoy it and i thought it was i thought it was terrific well i mean what's the where did you go to the cinema where did you grow up then if you were uh i grew up in dublin uh-huh. um, so not in a gueltoft area but like uh you know i kind of it was like a mini gueltoft in our house because like dad just spoke irish the yeah. whole time but you uh, went, where did you where did you go to the cinema first when what was the first film you saw in the cinema my very first film yeah my very first film was disney's the jungle book mm. apparently uh a vague recollection of it i think it was three or whatever what's the one you remember most going to see it's not a very well-known film i think it was it was the black cauldron i think it was called it was the disney anime i think it was disney or maybe it was um I must look this up actually but it was another animated film but i just have a really strong for whatever reason there was some like scary character in it this sort of weird demonic guy <laughs> that's just like really lodged in my uh in my my brain i don't, I don't know that one yeah yeah i don't know was it um 
What was that animation company that were based in Ireland? Was it John Bluth? Was that his name? Was, well, John Bluth was it? Wasn't certainly an animator. We did uh, like Feeble Goes West and things like yeah, that. Yeah, an American Tale yeah, and all that's, that. That's the one. Yeah. I'm not sure was he were they involved or was it a maybe it was a Disney? One I think they were, he was under the Disney banner. He may well be John Bluth. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, but uh, yeah. So I don't know. Like, uh, yeah, uh, growing up then, like I was your typical. Like I loved uh, Tim Burton's Batman and stuff. And <laughs> but like the thing was, like in our house, TV was not like a popular thing in our house. Like my dad didn't really like the the notion of television. And then one year, our TV broke, and um, my dad was delighted. So and we had no television for like a year and a half or something. But then in 1990, Ireland, uh, the Irish soccer football team qualified for the World Cup. I do remember very well. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, so like then suddenly, you know, every household had to have a television to watch these matches. So his dad so bought did. TV and he also bought a VCR player. And then he began this process of a sort of more like trying to keep us away from television, but like still introduce us to the, the sort of uh, the art of film. So he would buy he would buy all these films and he kind of began like our film education, you know? So he bought like all these like silent films and like musicals from the thirties. Which ones? Do you remember? The very first VHS he bought was Flying Down to Rio, which was like a, an early Fred Astaire, Fred Astaire. Jim Rogers, yeah. where they're not even the leads in it. They're kind of like in slightly in the background. It's two other, two others kind of to the fore. But then like yeah, one of my abiding memories of kind of childhood vhs watching was uh modern times the charlie chaplin film i watched that to death like and um so yeah, it was great like he just introduced us to so many different wow films and that became like, kind of, like my interest in film kind of grew out of that and so like oh like I, I always remember seeing the maltese falcon for the first time the john houston film as a young person and suddenly realizing oh wow like film can be this like really beautifully atmospheric and complex thing and um yeah it just i don't know it just ignited something in me um he was irish john houston sort of claimed to be yeah 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 and made one of the great irish films which it wasn't really made in ireland but the the dead you know the the james adaptation that is a fantastic film though yeah all shot in l.a is it all shot? I really I yeah, actually it kind of fooled me. I didn't know the story. I thought I assumed he was quite old by then, John Houston. But I thought he lived in Ireland. Danny Houston talks about growing up in Ireland and uh, sort of being in Ireland. Yeah, they must have had a house here or something. Yeah. I, I remember my my granny telling me she she bumped into John Houston once in like Cleary's uh, department store in Dublin, and this was like years and years ago. You know, and, uh, <laughs> I always I love I love that memory that kind of vicariously uh, have uh, yeah. Just, so he's there he's there in your film you know it must be there they're all whenever you see these films and they they rest they must kind of come out in your current work i think there's probably chaplin references somewhere in there and john <laughs> yeah. Houston and the dead you got well, those like, be- you got those beautiful trees you know that's uh yeah, yeah, yeah. he's got those beautiful trees in too and I, in a weird way i i sometimes think of catherine's performance like it's a silent silent movie performance like it's not it's a non-verbal performance you know it's mm-hmm. um if you were to actually write out all of her lines of dialogue you'd fill maybe three pages or something you know it's yeah. like there's not much in it like. yeah so there you go the, you, the silent films did work you made a film about silence and language so yeah. it, 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 it's come to you what's your favorite cinema in ireland this is a very political question <laughs> as, we're, <laughs> as we're about to distribute the uh, film. Yes. <laughs> i do love i mean you know i do love um 
the Lighthouse Cinema is is a fabulous cin- yeah, cinema. They've done a great job there, haven't they? But then, you know, I love the IFI as well, the Irish Film Institute. Presumably you'll be on at both of those, won't you? Can you manage to be? Yeah. 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 And actually, I'm looking forward to going to the, the kind of sister cinema of the Lighthouse over in Galway, which is the Polos, uh, which I've never been to, but it's supposed to be beautiful. So I'm looking forward to going there. And presumably if you were at the Dublin Film Festival, you played at the uh, at, at the big one. Yeah, we were in Cineworld, Screen 17, the kind of IMAX theatre. So that was kind of cool to see wow. the film on such a large canvas. Yeah, because it's a small film, really. You know what I mean? It's a, it's a, it's a film about quietness. And yeah, yeah. And it's small. Look, the canvas is great because it's shot beautifully. But to be on a big screen is yeah, kind of, yeah. Uh, unnerving. But the beautiful thing about that is it's actually a film that, that well, for me, really needs a great sound system because, like, the... the the work we put into the soundscape was really kind of in depth and and to me is like a really important part of the film like it's because it's this you know the, it's not a film about plot it's a film about like the experiential thing it's mm. about like seeing the world through this girl's eyes and and feeling all these unfamiliar environments that she comes to and have you ever fallen in love at the movies you know like it's more a case of like a film like say blue is the warmest color like that love story to me was just so devastating like I, I i kind of felt not that like i fell in love with like the like i was like massively attracted to the characters but i was like i was just i felt like i was in that love story i felt i like it just just it was just devastating to me yeah, you know as i'm with you I, I absolutely loved it. I mean, I, I fell in love yeah. with that, the, the sensuality of, of it, the physicality of, of yeah, love. Yeah, yeah. So that's, I mean, in terms of like just that really visceral kind of, that's the closest I've come to that feeling of being madly in love with someone in terms of a film. Mm. Um, and it's sort of, it's annoying. It's sort of tainted slightly maybe by, uh, you know, the... Oh, I know. They, They've cancelled off. They, they cancel your favourite ones all the way. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I I stand by that film. It's just, uh, you know, absolutely about love and newness and experience and diving in and, yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. and they're extraordinary, the, Adele and Leia. Yeah, like... and they're both still extraordinary. You know, both, both their careers are extraordinary. They keep They keep doing it. Yeah. I think we can have. I'm. I'm always allowing that film. You know. I just think it's an extraordinary thing. One of the one of the most extraordinary I've ever seen. I think. Yeah. Well, yeah. Um, if you could go back in time, we talked about the dead and John Huston. If you could go back in time to anywhere, but Ireland, if you like, to any film being made, and visit the set for a day, or to see it being worked, or to see an actor delivering a famous line, or to see a director at work, which film would you go to? Uh. I'm a huge fan of um, the Japanese director, Kenji Mizoguchi. Do you know him? Mm-hmm. Mizoguchi, yeah. I would love to go back to something like the, the 47 Ronin that he did, you know, and just see these extraordinary long takes that like would start, like they start off on a crane or something and that just the kind of technical prowess that was on display, you know, at that point in the cinema's history like to be around to, to see that and just to, and the commitment of the the actors the cast is just extraordinary and i'm just trying to think what um what years that would be 47 ronin i'm looking at the one well, the one i always think of his is um ugetsu monogatari the tales of yeah the Moon, yeah yeah which is fi- the 50s 1953 here we are look for, we're look we're both googling <laughs> fair enough <laughs> 41 is it Wow, he started in the twenties as well. I mean, God, the guy made millions of. He, I, I turned out a film like a hundred films, you know. 
Yeah, it's extraordinary. And the story of the last chrysanthemums as well. That was gorgeous. The 47 Road in 1941. Here we go. Here we go. There you go. Kenji so, yeah. Good shout. First, cho- first time anyone on the show has ever chosen Mizuguchi, and that is yeah extraordinary because it'll get someone a guitar is one of the most beautiful films I've ever seen. As is the story yeah. of the last one. So Forty Seven Ronin is so cool. So you're going to go to Forty Seven Ronin, you see, and then you wouldn't start saying to him, "Oh, you've made it in the Japanese language. How unusual!" So I, I feel like I shouldn't have, shouldn't have got, got caught up so much on the language, but I do think that uh, this is maybe a revival of it on the big screen and and, and a landmark to to note uh, the arrival of an Irish language film in London cinemas and the UK cinemas and in Irish cinemas by the sound. Absolutely. Yeah, you look back at like the history of of our cinema and you like you've so few examples of irish language feature films you know it's like you'd won in like 1960 there was a famous uh feature-length documentary called misha era i am ireland which was you know the story of how we achieved our our freedom was told through archival footage and with an irish voiceover and it was a huge hit in ireland at the time and uh, then you had like another one in the 70s uh that was made in the west of ireland i think and then I don't know. Like, I keep meaning to get the definitive list. There was another one by Tom Collins called Kings in the early noughties. It was set in London about like London, like you know, guys who had gone over to London to work on the sites and all that. And so I'm assuming Irish was spoken. There's there was a, a period. This is a fascinating one. Here's your next film. Uh, it, it come here to London, and you know, the Irish did the the railways in Camden and all of these. And Irish must have been spoken around in Kilburn and. Uh, and areas like that must have been spoken like brilliantly to avoid you know detection and avoid pol- avoid the police and avoid uh, all sorts and it must have been quite quite heard here in the in London and the UK I, Liverpool and places yeah yeah I think it would have been you know um, like even my wife the producer Cleone Crowley of the film like her her family are from the Donegal Gaeltacht but a lot of those would have moved over to London and they're all native speakers, you know, so they certainly would have been speaking Irish, like in yeah. England. And my football team is Arsenal, just down the road here. And when I grew up, they were all had Irish players, you know, Liam Brady and Frank Stapleton and Eileen, the kit woman. Yeah. They all stayed with Eileen. And I would have think they would have come over and probably spoken spoken a bit of Irish. They all played for ERA at the time. It was not the Republic yeah. of Ireland, it was the ERA. Yeah, back when we had great players. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Well, I wish you best of luck with that. So, what's your? Uh, what do you speak at home, you and your wife? We speak Irish. Yeah, yeah. We've two young kids, and we're we're raising them through Irish. So, yeah, it's kind of wild. That's fantastic. Well, Dublin. Yeah, well, um, loving loving Dublin. Always nice to hear about Dublin as well. Miss it in a way. Um, one of my favourite cities in Europe, and this is a great. I, I would call it a European film, you know, because it takes its place alongside some of those ethnographic films that that you don't hear very often but there's basque films and there's you know uh, we don't hear many cornish but i mentioned welsh and i know there's some movements in france to kind of do breton films for example but irish seems seems from from looking at your film it seems one of the ones that can really carry it you know carry its weight uh all the way hopefully yeah and even like you know uh, like that, that great Catalan film by Carla Simone. I don't know if you've seen Summer in 1993. Which one in Berlin? Which one? Yeah, it was in played in Generation actually. Yeah, the same section we were in, and um, like that was a real touchstone for me. Not in terms of like you're quite aesthetically different as films, but just in terms of I think that's a masterclass in presenting a child's child's point of view. You know, so that was certainly a film that was uh, that was uh, yeah, as I say, kind sort of, of chimes with you, even though it was at the same time. But yeah, had had. Had you be, be, had it come out before, it might have been an influence on your film. But maybe there's something in the water that you're both looking 
child's eye views. Well, no, that was out before us. That what? was like, that came out in, um, sorry, when I, when I say it played in Generation, it played like a few years before us. Ah. Berlin, so it was- Not uh, the one that just won, because she won. Yeah, that was, that was Alcaraz, that's her ah, new Ah, so the one before. Another Catalan film, yeah. What did you say it was called? Uh, Summer in 19- Oh, yes, yeah, exactly. That's brilliant. Yeah. Mm, yeah, it's amazing. Is that her as well? That's her, yeah, that was her film. I love that film, yeah. Because <laughs> it was the spirit of the beehive, was it was that sort of took that on, yeah. the original, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's her, of course. I love that film. I, no one saw that film. Well done. <laughs> was it in Berlin? I remember, what was it called again? Summer of? Summer 1993. Yeah, Summer Oh, it was brilliant. Yeah, yeah. I, I love those sorts of films. There's a, there a performance where a child, I, I, she is, that scene at the end where she just, the kid just breaks down. It's just one of the most extraordinary performances I've ever seen by a young person. Yeah. It's just incredible. Absolutely. I'd almost forgotten that film. And yeah, and that's what your film reminds me of, that film, actually. Okay. I, was... I, just, I just ripped that off, you know. Yeah. But... <laughs> well, that was, no one's going to know Catalan to Irish. You know, it's just... Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> These rebellious languages that they dictators wanted to get rid of all those years ago. <laughs> and yeah, you are keeping them alive. Uh, that's what I love about them. Uh, congratulations. Really lovely to meet you, Colin. You too, Jason. Thanks for being And A Quiet Girl is out in cinemas on May the 13th here and in Ireland and on Curzon Home Cinema. Slauncher. <laughs> Great. Just one more to look out for, and that's Vortex, which is a wonderful, amazing film by Gaspar Noé, a film which I saw in Cannes last year, and which has haunted me ever since. It's so beautiful, also heartbreaking. Uh, it's done in split screen. Two cameras follow our two elderly uh, actors, Françoise Lebrun and Dario Argento. Yeah, Dario Argento, the Italian horror maestro, who I've never seen act before, but he acts in this, playing an, an old film critic who's trying to write a book, a definitive book, in their cramped Parisian apartment. So the one split screen is, is always on him, and the other split screen is on his wife, who's played by Françoise Lebrun, who's you know slipping into dementia and really kind of struggling with the apartment and, and, and where she should go, and he's struggling to look after her. But she gets her own camera in the split screen too, and she's Françoise Lebrun, who was a new wave icon, uh, the star of Jean Eustache's La Maman et la Putain, uh, The Mother and the Whore from 1973. Amazing film, which has just been remastered and will be playing uh, at, at Cannes Classics this year in just a few weeks' time. Uh, I've seen it once before. It's one of those once-in-a-lifetime experience films, but maybe I will watch it again. It was so amazing. And to see Françoise Lebrun, who's so you know, beautiful and uh, iconic in that role. See her now withered and old in, in Vortex is, is quite something. Anyway, it's it's a wonderful film, uh, Vortex. I think it's a minor masterpiece. Gaspar Noé has done Irreversible and he's done, you know, other films. Uh, but I would say nothing that's got this tenderness and this warmth and this humanity and this love for these two old people uh, who are both crotchety as well, not always lovable. It, 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 it's sort of spectacular in its simplicity with these two split screens. And sometimes the screen does come together when these two people have a dumo, have a moment of connection across the dementia. So I guess it goes in the dementia films category, sort of alongside like the father. But it's rather different in that uh, it, heartbreaking, just the same, beautifully done. And it's called Vortex by Gaspar Noé. Uh, thanks to my guests, uh, Colin Barade and Kate Dawkins, for putting it all together. And although I've used it before, 
I'm going to go out with some more of Francoise Hardy's Mon Ami La Rose, which features in Vortex. Actually, the whole sort of song features in Vortex, sort of a beautiful memory haunting you from the 60s. Uh, maybe it's one of the favourite songs of the couple in the film. That's sort of how it's sort of embedded in there. And it's such a beautiful song, and it's so emblematic of the delicate nature of love and our physical being of mortality. So now I'm gearing up for Cannes. Uh, some preview screenings are already underway. I'm off to one in a minute. Here's Françoise Hardy and Mon Ami La Rose. See you soon. On est bien peu de choses Et mon ami La Rose Me l'a dit ce matin Vois le Dieu qui m'a faite Me fait courber la tête Et je sens que je tombe Et je sens que je tombe Mon cœur est presque nu J'ai le pied dans la tombe Déjà je ne suis plus Tu m'admirais hier Et je serai poussière Pour toujours demain 